0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another awesome interview on the channel. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Brian Mirabella. Now, I'll just very, very quickly summarize Brian's amazing accolades, let's call it. So Brian's been a raw foodist for almost five years now. He's incredibly ripped, as you've probably seen online. But most importantly, he's into holistic health. He's a breath coach. And yeah, he's just there's so many different aspects about Brian. So I don't want to waffle on too much, so I'll let Brian introduce himself. So maybe just a quick five-minute intro, Brian, because you'll do yourself more justice. That would be great.
1: Uh, Thank you, Dylan, and thank you for having me and allowing me a platform to speak with your listeners. I really appreciate this. Um, No worries. I've I've been an athlete my whole life, literally from the moment I was born, because my mom said that I took my first step when I was eight months old. So I'm what's called a true mesomorph. I'm a mover. Mm -hmm. And um, I grew up just being an athlete. So I was starting to play like little league baseball when I was six years old. I was beating all the older kids in races in the neighborhood. Um, Then I started wrestling at 14 in high school and I wrestled competitively from 14 to 26. And then at 26, I gave up wrestling but I had been a personal trainer for four years prior to that. Um, and then my first job that I had in New York City was in a very high-class, posh gym that catered to whatever, rich and famous people, artists, all that stuff, which I thought was cool back then, which I realized means nothing now, because um, nobody's any more important than another person. And you. Um, I... Uh, my bosses were power lifters, and they were both six feet tall, big, big men. And I was always very strong. So they got me into powerlifting. And they're like, Oh, my God, you should compete. And then I started lifting with them. So I did grueling workouts, which I I had done from the time I was 14, because wrestling is grueling. And uh, in wrestling, you're bent over. So you're complete your spine is completely jacked up from being bent over you give yourself scoliosis which means you will never take a full breath again in your life whether you feel it or not Mm -hmm. and then what i did was after wrestling ended and i started powerlifting, i started to compress a spine that i had given scoliosis because i wasn't born with it i didn't have it prior to wrestling i developed it structurally it wasn't part of who i was and my spine was very straight. I have pictures of it being nice and straight. So then the powerlifting compressed me, made me breathe even worse, created a hypertension aspect to my nervous system because I was constantly inhaling and (gasps) squeezing every part of my body that is actually killing you. There is nothing good about doing heavy lifting. Now, there's gonna be a lot of people out there that don't jive with that statement, but if you understand anything about the spine, you do not wanna compress your spine, especially in a linear lift, because it's not found in nature. We invented it. We developed it. The hominids were picking up rocks and doing carries and moving around. They weren't squatting. They weren't bent over rowing you weren't bench pressing a rock, right? They were just moving through space. So, I really did a number on my respiratory system, my nervous system and my spine. And by the time I was 39, I was literally a broken down man. I had two herniations in my discs that one of the top orthopedic surgeons in America told me, "People with your MRI are begging me to operate." But There was just something inside me that knew that, well, if a starfish can regrow a leg and you can take out half a liver and it grows back, then that means everything grows back. So I have to be able to find some form of body work or modality or something that can get me out of the state of decrepitness that I was feeling because I was crippled. And I anguished for two and a half years after my major herniation in S1 and L5. And I was personally training people and I was working eight hours a day and I was in agony all day long. And my clients were begging me to go to the doctor, begging me to have surgery. And I'm like, I'm not going to do spinal fusion surgery. That means I will never be able to move the way I was designed to move again in my life It's gonna cause me to grip further, which I had already been doing, which means it's gonna stop certain movements from happening because my brain is gonna have to figure out new movement patterns built around the tightness in the fascial system to protect myself from experiencing pain. But pain is your benchmark to tell you that you're doing something wrong. Yeah. I have a couple of clients right now that do compressive movements that have found they have degenerated discs, but they can't wrap their mind around the fact that they've actually caused it. Even though I'm telling them this and explaining to them what I went through, they want to be big, they want to be strong, but yet they're contributing and exacerbating their own injuries. And they yes. can't understand why they should stop. because. They want to be big and strong, but what animal says, I want to be big and strong? Animals don't train, they play. And they develop the ability to use their body in space by playing. And they don't go out on runs, they work to their metabolic requirement all the time, but humans don't do that. We do everything in excess. And people think exercise is good for you and a moderate amount of exercise is good for you. But heavy exercise like high intensity training is not because people that are doing high intensity training are over breathing and breathing through their mouth, unless you're one of my students or athletes Mm -hmm. and you've learned to be able to do a high intensity workout by breathing through your nose and still be being able to breathe less hard because you've learned to command your breathing through restorative breathing exercises. So through my own pain and anguish, I've been able to develop a process that teaches people how to overcome these neurological issues, breathe better and live longer and live more healthy, pain-free lives. And now I'm spreading the word thanks to my own experience of hitting like my dark night of the soul, which for me was, Oh my God, I'm at 39. What am I going to do? I'll never be able to exercise again. I mean, I, I couldn't even step over a New York city puddle cause I was in so much pain. Mm. And now 14 years later at the age of 54 and a half, I'm moving as well as I did when I was in my twenties. I have no more joint pain and I feel as good as I've ever felt in my life, but more emotionally, which translated into physical freeness Mm. that's allowing me to experience life the way that I did when I was probably zero to five.
0: Yeah, I think you touched on so many amazing things there. I'm just unpacking it in my mind, but the people might be wondering how exactly did you naturally correct your spine as I adjust my spine (laughs) because I'm conscious of how I'm sitting. But how did you naturally do it? Because you're also a fruitarian, but for you, didn't something else come first?
1: Yeah, well, 11 and a half years ago, I found um, the anatomy trains that was devised and originated by Thomas Myers, yeah. who is a legend in the bodywork field and one of the afore- aforementioned top leading fascia experts on the planet and I went to a seminar, wasn't taught by him, was taught by one of his instructors, and I was in agony, and everything they were saying, I pride myself on being a critical thinker. I'm, I, I don't have beliefs that I, that I will never change. Everything that I presently believe, I give myself the freedom to say, well, I might believe it now, but in a year from now, I might not believe it anymore. And if that means that I might have given out information that wasn't correct today i'm actually going to own up to it and i'm going to say you know i found something that works better and if somebody presented something about the way i teach breathing and said oh i figured out a better way i would i would say it and i wouldn't be held to my beliefs i wouldn't be held to my my dogmas yeah so um i forgot where i was where the question we're just talking
0: about how you naturally restored your spine
1: oh yeah yeah So finding the Thomas Myers people, I learned that there was a master teacher in Manhattan. So I started seeing her on a weekly basis, which is expensive and it's not covered by insurance. So it takes a lot of um, effort to be able to go and spend money out of your own pocket to be able to do this kind of work. And, you know, they say it you know, enter into the 10 session sequence. Well, somebody with my dysfunction, it ain't taking 10 sessions. In fact, over the 11 and a half years, I've seen her 106 times. And I still have parts of my body that are tense, that need fascial release. So the healing journey takes however long it takes. There is no timetable. So I started seeing her. And in six months, I was not feeling better, but I was feeling a little bit freer, but I still had a lot of pain. So she recommended that I see her neural emotional technique network chiropractor in her office, Dr. Zev Reuser, here in Manhattan. And I was like, well, you're helping me. So I I believe what you're telling me, I'll try this guy. So I started seeing him And he was working on my subconscious, which I didn't understand at all. I didn't understand that held subconscious traumas are repressed in your nervous system, but they're on an invisible level. And because I was never taught it, I couldn't even comprehend it. So after about nine months of seeing him, so that's a little over a year now, he started to say to me, I'd come into the office and I'd be like, oh, my back, my back. And then he very, very gently started saying to me, Brian, there's nothing wrong with you. Your back is fine. You know, we'll keep working on this. And then it happened on his table one day. I have told this story so many times. I don't want to know oh, you're much.
0: probably, You're probably bored of it. but
1: <laughs> But Just I was them. on the table. I was sitting up on the table, and he came over. Because he's a network chiropractor, so there's three other tables and there's three other people in there. Because collective energy makes the system heal even faster. So, he said, turn to your right, and I was like this. Hold up your arm, and he does applied kinesiology. So he's testing your nervous system to see if it's congruent with the with the emotions in your that's presenting in your body. So. I turned to my right and he went to push on my arm and there was no strength because the pain is so intense. The nervous system's going to go weak because it's experiencing trauma. It's not just pain in the moment. It's a reliving trauma. And the pain is trying to tell you that you're not listening to your emotional reaction to the emotions that you're repressing in your body. And that's something that people don't get. So a lot of people won't even bother to do something like that. They're like, they'll go for one time, they'll be like, what is this stupid stuff? And then they will never go back. Um, but I stayed with it, even though I didn't understand it, because at that moment, he, I turned to my right, my arm went weak, he said, okay, The emotion that i'm reading from your body is the feeling of inadequacy and i immediately connected to that because my mother from the time i can remember as a little tiny baby child she would scream and curse at me and hit me all the time and she always told me that i was gonna grow up to be a piece of shit that i would never amount to anything so i felt inadequate in my the way i presented myself to the world And that inadequacy, that repressed emotion, gets stored in your etheric body, your nadis, 72,000 energy centers that are in your invisible body, just like your nerves, just like your veins, your arteries, your muscles, but it's on an invisible level that medical science will poo-poo, except they're the ones who we poo-poo, because they're the ones that don't help anybody. So, um, he made me put one hand on my liver, one hand on my brain, and he read this beautiful mantra to me. And then he walked away, and he let me process what I had just read. And he came back about five five minutes later, and he said, put your hands down, and he said, okay, turn to your right. And I went like this, (gasps) (laughs) because when he said turn to your right, I went to turn to my right. i forgot that every time i turned to my right i was like (laughs) and that's how it was and i went like this and he went yes he said hold out your arm and he went to push on my arm and my arm was strong i never had pain again wow and all of that inadequacy came from the way my mother treated me and made me feel and i never had pain again and i've been pain free in that area I've overcome other, a lot of other structural and physical issues, even after that. But that one was crippling me. And imagine being crippled in crippled in the moment. And five minutes later, you're no longer crippled and never have pain again. I mean, and then I've been going ever since.
0: Amazing. It, It is so true the childhood trauma and the stored trauma on the subconscious emotional level. But like you say, because we don't see it with our two eyes and our physical senses, it's quite hard for us to comprehend, myself included, before this kind of, before the raw food awakening, I guess you could say, for me, if I couldn't see it, I didn't believe in it. And I was very logical, but now I'm really considering all of these new possibilities. But yeah, I appreciate you probably get really bored of repeating yourself with the with the introduction know, and your story but i think it's so important for new people just to hear it because it's amazing so yeah. if you can just very very quickly summarize the timeline so you had that back pain how old were you when that went when that was uh, correct
1: i was 42.
0: okay and then the next step was breathing instructor
1: so uh so I was 42. I became a breathing instructor. October was six years. So from 42 to 48. I just worked on learning Thomas Myers anatomy trains information. I took yeah, dissection so fascia. courses and I learned everything I could about fascia, which is the most important system in our body other than breathing. But breathing is fascial in nature because mm. the diaphragm is not a muscle. It's fascial tissue that has striated muscle woven into it. And I immersed myself in that. And then I found I went to a movement. I'm a personal trainer. That's why. So I'm also I've been a personal trainer for 34 years. I'm one of the first ones really in New York City even and or probably even in America. I'm sure there weren't that many, you know, and. um, So it's been, you know, 34 years, a long time ago. And uh, I went to a movement seminar here in Manhattan, the EBFA movement seminar by Dr. Emily Spiegel. And on day three, she said, okay, today we're gonna to bring out a breathing instructor and she's gonna teach us about breathing for an hour and a half. And I went, ah. Oh.
0: Yeah, that's most people's reaction. they really.
1: I was yeah. like, come on. I came here to learn about movement. What do I need to learn about breathing for? But yet, I was poorly breathing in that moment, but no one ever called me out on it or taught me anything. And I've studied with all the top movement coaches in the world, and they don't know anything about breathing. Zero. They're not even interested in it. They want to teach movement, but they leave out the most important step. And they're still doing it. A lot of the people I've learned from, they're still doing the same thing, you know? So everything she said during the talk, I was like, oh my gosh, I do that. I have that, I experienced that. And then again, I pride myself on being a critical thinker and I was like, okay, I wanna learn more from you. How can I learn more? And she's like, oh, I'm gonna be in New York for a week and I'm holding a certification next weekend. So I immediately, paid $1,800 and I went to this three-day seminar and I became a restorative breathing coach and the information was so far over my head because we're talking about cranial nerves that they didn't teach me as a phys ed major, they didn't teach me in any movement seminar, so I went to these three days and I was completely confused but I was confused at a higher level Hmm. but at least I had started on that journey and then two months later I found the Oxygen Advantage book Right As fate would have it, when you start immersing yourself in something, you start reflecting it to you. And then I I found the Oxygen Advantage book. I looked to see when Patrick McEwen was doing certification courses. It wasn't going to be until nine months later in Toronto. So I signed up for it. But in the meantime, I was like, oh, he's talking about buteco breathing. Let me research that. And I'm like, oh, wow, they do online courses. So in February, they were doing a course. I was like, OK, I'll take it. So I, I did the inter, uh, the beginner course for a month straight. Then we had a month off. Then I did the intermediate course for a month Then we had a month off. Then I did the advanced course with a man named Christopher Drake, who worked with Professor Buteco closely. And then I had a month off and then I went to Toronto and got certified by Patrick. And then in his course, I realized, oh, he's like Steve Jobs. He took the Buteco method and he made it better because he experienced it for 15 years as a Buteco instructor. And he realized that there were certain things missing and he made the method better. So since then, six years, I've been fully immersed in learning how to breathe. And first I had to learn myself. So for the first two years, I really didn't teach it. I was still personally training people. I wasn't really teaching breathing. I would give them some breathing exercises, but I didn't know how to teach it because I was unaware of what the teachings meant. So I was intellectualizing everything, which is kind of what you have to do at first. But really, when it came came down to what really... Yeah, was me experiencing how to get out of the trauma, how to get out of these bad breathing habits I was experiencing, exhibiting. And then once I learned how to overcome it, I said, oh my gosh, I have to learn how to teach. I have to teach this. So I started a website. I started an online breathing program, mainly due to COVID. So immediately I knew that they were not gonna shut us down for only two weeks. I knew that was a lie. Yeah. So I said, Oh, I gotta start teaching breathing online because this is a respiratory illness. So people need to learn that they can overcome this or develop their physiology to be able to prevent themselves from being afflicted by respiratory illness, which you most certainly can do.
0: Definitely. And on that, because you're such a multifaceted being, there's so much about you. So if we can just wrap up with the breathing, it's really, really important. But can we, can you leave the viewers with an exercise they can do either now or, or just something they can be aware of, just one takeaway in terms of breath, just that will change their life? Sure. I know there's so many.
1: Yeah, but well, I guess number one would be the only time you breathe out of your mouth Is when you're talking really only talking not even eating because when you're eating your mouth should be closed you should be chewing and still being able to breathe through your nose so number one is you have to establish your ability to nasal breathe 100% of the time unless you're a competitive athlete and you're in the middle of a competition and you need to open your mouth to pant to dump the excess carbon dioxide other than that no one else should ever be mouth breathing so there are beautiful techniques that can help us establish that and one of them is the nose unblocking technique so most most people that i've worked with which is over six years they all have a relatively blocked nose so i'm going to ask you and all your listeners out there let's do this little technique and let's sure. first decide let's check so dylan Very gently take your thumb and just cover your nose. Don't push up, don't push in. Just cover the flow of air. And close your eyes. And just feel and observe how you're breathing. Number one, are you making noise when you inhale? We don't wanna make noise, zero. When you inhale, Are you feeling any kind of compression in your airway? Meaning as I inhale, does the airway feel really open or no, I can feel there's restriction as I inhale. And number three, when you inhale, is the air filling in your chest or in your belly area? Change sides. So we're looking to make sure that the nose is silent, the nose is open, and as we inhale we feel it in our lower belly area as opposed to our upper chest. Okay now you can open your eyes. Now we can all do this together. It's only going to take us three minutes. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a breathing exercise that number one is going to introduce a tolerable need to breathe. So it's a breath hold exercise. So we're going to introduce to the body a tolerable need to breathe. Meaning when I exhale, carbon dioxide is going to increase in my blood and I'm going to feel the need to want to breathe. So I'm going to teach my body to become tolerant to the buildup of this gas. Number two, as I do this breathing technique, nitric oxide is going to start to pool in my nasal cavity while I'm holding my breath. And then when I let go and I inhale very slowly, the nitric oxide is going to open my sinuses. And number three, it's going to help me to activate my diaphragm. Because when I hold my breath, my diaphragm has to maybe do these little tiny convulsions And when I'm holding my breath, that's the only time you strengthen the fascial diaphragm. Exercise doesn't strengthen diaphragm at all, zero. Exercise doesn't train breathing at all. Only breathing exercises train breathing. Because most people that are exercising are breathing wrong. So, the exercise goes like this. We're gonna interlock our fingers, We're going to bring our fingers all the way up to our nose because we don't we don't want to bring our head to our nose you're going to take a very normal breath in and a normal breath out so following this passive exhalation when you get to the very neutral end of the exhale where it feels nice and safe you gently pinch but now you're going to bob your head when you feel a medium desire to breathe, which is like 50% of a strong breath hold. You're going to let go of your nose and you're going to try to inhale horizontally as slowly as you can. And then it's not about how long you inhale, it's about just breathing in as softly as you can because you're taking that nitric oxide and it's the nitric oxide that brings more oxygen into your lungs. I won't go too deep into the science, people won't understand that anyway. So, we're going to breathe out passively. We're going to bob our head. When we feel like 50%, we're going to let go. We're going to inhale very slowly and then we're going to exhale very slowly. And in the middle, we're going to give you a 20 second rest. And then you just breathe out however normal you want to. So, it's not. Well, how many seconds do I breathe in? Don't worry about that. Whatever a gentle, slow breath in is and whatever an effortless exhale is. That's all we're going to do today. We're going to do this six times. And then we're going to recheck our nostril airway. And I'm going to bring out my timer. Now, when you're ready, you're going to take a normal breath in and a normal breath out. You're gonna pinch and hold and I'm gonna start the clock and then I will instruct you and the viewers as we do the exercise. Whenever you're ready, I'm ready. Beautiful exhale, good. So the nitric oxide is pooling in his cavity. The carbon dioxide is building up in his blood. And as he lets go and he goes to inhale very slowly, He's pulling more oxygen into his body due to the buildup of paranasal nitric oxide, which is enhancing oxygen uptake. In three, five seconds, you're gonna do it again. Three, two, one, exhale, pinch and hold, and bob. Good. We're gonna do this four more times after this one. Focus on the speed of the inhale. The speed of the inhale matters greatly because it allows you to bring even more nitric oxide production into the body. And nitric oxide is a vasodilator, which means it expands blood vessels. Three, two, one, exhale, pinch, hold, and bob. Good, breathe in as softly as you can. Then allow the breath to leave your body as slowly as it can. So I'm already teaching you how to breathe. I'm teaching you that you're supposed to be breathing light for the nitric oxide. You're supposed to be breathing slow to calm the brain and you're supposed to be breathing deep to allow more air to be pulled into the lungs. And exhale, pinch and bob. Number four. Good, so the action of bobbing is what helps to open the sinuses because of the increase in nitric oxide and the rise in carbon dioxide. Beautiful. Breathing in as softly and slowly as you can. Exhaling as effortlessly as you can. Even by number four, you're already feeling an ability to breathe deeper. You're noticing that the breath is no longer in the upper chest and shoulders. It's down. Three, two, one, exhale, pinch and bob. Number five, good job, Dylan. I love how relaxed you are. I love the slowness of the breath that you do when you let go. You're performing it very well. Beautiful. Inhale very slowly. I'm looking at your nostrils. I'm noticing that your nostrils are flaring when you inhale. That's good. Sometimes people, when they breathe in, their nostrils will collapse. That's paradoxical breathing. And that's a red flag. Here we go. Last one. Exhale, pinch, hold and bob. Good. We're allowing the nitric oxide to pool in the sinuses. And as soon as we inhale, we inhale as slowly as we can to produce even more nitric oxide, which is increasing the amount of oxygen we pull into our body. Okay, so that took 3 minutes and 49 seconds, because I was talking a lot. But that exercise, is how we decongest the nose so go ahead and block your cover your nostril again without pushing and now tell me after you do both sides you can tell the listeners if you've been able to feel any effects from the exercise
0: yeah it definitely feels a lot clearer <laughs> I'm sweating because it's hot in the apartment here but but yeah I definitely feel a lot more relaxed um, just the, just being aware of your breath as well I think just relaxes you and yeah it just feels like a more open airway
1: bingo if if you were not experiencing that openness prior to the exercise and your nose was a little bit more collapsed or compressed than it should be are you going to breathe slower or are you going to breathe harder harder if you breathe harder are you going to experience calmness or maybe low level of anxiety
0: low level of anxiety I without
1: even knowing it i lovingly tell my students that you don't know how good you don't feel and You know, the other test we do is called the BOLT, the controlled pause. So that test allows us to determine what our tolerance to the buildup of CO2 is. And that's a measure of true health.
0: Amazing, amazing. Yeah, I definitely feel more relaxed. (laughs) Having listened to you in the past and other people, I've become more conscious of my breath, but. I feel like I always need a reminder and I think it's important for people. And just quickly, I just had a thought. I have a family member who is kind of suffering from sleep apnea. Hmm. Is that due to breathing through your mouth and a lack of nasal breathing?
1: Well, there are a lot of factors with sleep apnea. It could be, um, facial dysfunction. Um, it, again, if you have a deviated septum, which I think like ninety-five percent of the population does, it's not that the nose has been I used to think that, oh my nose has been broken four times, that's why, but no, it's because I wrestled. So I was in this position, so I fascially deviated my septum because everything is tissue. So it could be due to um a collapsing and narrowing of their jaw. It could be due to the fact that when they sleep, they sleep with their mouth open, their jaw falls back, the tongue falls in the back of the throat and it blocks the airway. So sleep apnea is uh, very correctable, depends on how severe it is. But even in the most severe cases, it's still correctable. So we teach people number one, they can do that technique right before bed and every single hour of the day, because the more you give the body the signal of being tolerant to the buildup of CO2, the greater chances you're going to have to have an open nose, which means your body won't need to breathe through the mouth. The reason it breathes through the mouth is because it's an emergency system. So if I'm doing it when I'm awake, I'm definitely doing it when I'm asleep. And if I'm breathing through my mouth when I sleep, the chances of my oxygen saturation wearing a pulse oximeter and seeing the oxygen go below 50 percent is where the sleep apnea gets really detrimental because when you drop below 50 percent your brain says immediate emergency and it wakes you up because you need to be taking in more air to bring your oxygen levels back up so people will wake up well, they don't even know it. They could wake up a million times without even knowing it. And then they wake up feeling unrested, even after sleeping eight, nine hours because they've been breathing through their mouth. But again, there are a lot of cofactors involved in that. But that nose unblocking technique will work like a charm and get them to be at least encouraging nasal breathing as they go to sleep.
0: Amazing, amazing. Does mouth taping also
1: help? It would help, but again, it depends on the severity because if somebody's really poorly breathing, when they bring them, when they take the mouth tape on in the middle of the night, they're going to, they're going to take it off or they're going to wake up very few cases. They could wake up in a little bit of a panic, but that's the good thing is that it tells you that your brain won't let you die. The brain will wake you up. So you take the mouth tape off. Doctors will actually try to say that that's detrimental, and the only reason they give is that what if you had to throw up in the middle of the night, you would choke on your own vomit. Has anybody ever had had food poisoning and threw up while they were sleeping? No. <laughs>
0: Not to my knowledge.
1: <laughs> no. You wake up to throw up. You don't throw up in the middle unless you're drunk. <laughs> you yeah. don't grow up while you're sleeping, the brain wakes you up. So there really is no, um, reason for it. But oxygen advantage, we make tape called myotape, M-Y-O, and it has a slit in the middle. So the tape goes around the lips and it keeps the lips from opening. But I prefer to have my, my mouth fully covered because if I sleep on my back, even with my mouth tape, my mouth will still fall and it'll compress my airway and I could still snore and that's sleep apnea. So even as a high level breathing instructor, I've had a lot of teeth pulled over the course of my life because I grew up drinking Pepsi and I drank immense amount of soda in the 70s and 80s in the Bronx because I didn't grow up with a lot of money and that's what they fed us. So I was eating all this processed food. So we think about, what leads up to the sleep apnea, right? All the processed foods, all the non-chewing, dis- disturbing our facial function, and then all of a sudden we're diagnosed with sleep apnea, but long before the diagnosis, we were presenting it anyway.
0: Yeah, amazing. I'll definitely show them this segment of the interview and hopefully it helps. So you touched on food and other lifestyle choices we've made. So I appreciate you probably get a little bit bored of talking about food, um, but no, no, no. I know a lot of people are quite interested in what you typically eat in a day because you're a fruitarian, aren't you? Um, yeah, I would so, say. Yeah,
1: I would say being a fruitarian, you know, especially in New York City, I'm about 90 to 95 percent fruitarian. The other five to 10 percent are salads because sometimes you get kind of bored eating just fruit, so you want a different taste. So I'll make myself leafy green spinach salad and I'll cut up some peppers, some cucumbers. Um, I try not to mix my foods, but now, and I didn't do that in the beginning, but now I'm at such a high level and my organs are in such a good place. If I do mix some of those foods and it creates a little acidity in my gut, I also have the ability that my lymph is flowing. My kidneys are eliminating that my body can deal with it. It's not, essential. I mean, it's not how I really should be eating. But who wants to eat spinach without putting anything on it? Again, that's like common sense, right? You don't want to eat leafy greens unless there's something on it. No human being would ever be able to tackle an animal, take their mouth, rip into its hide, rip through the hide, get into the organs while the animal's alive, mind you, and be able to eat fresh organ meat. There's no common sense to that whatsoever, (laughs) which means that's not how we were designed. We adapted to do it. I've adapted to be able to eat a salad when I feel like it. I won't eat flesh. I haven't eaten flesh in 11 years and I will never eat meat again in my life. And you know, you could see in my videos, I'm pretty heavily muscled. I'm not really big anymore, but I still have plenty of muscle and that's because I live on marine phytoplankton. So I get all the building blocks of life because it's the perfect organism. So I ingest marine phytoplankton for the last seven and a half years. So if I am on fruit, and let's say my fruit is missing something because I'm looking at my watermelon because I'm going to eat it after you, (laughs) you know, and they're seedless. I can't get seeded watermelons. But do I worry about that? No, I don't. Because over these nearly five years, I've been able to heal all of my organ dysfunction. Eating modified fruits because every fruit we eat is modified. That watermelon that I'm eating looked nothing like that. Whenever it started in nature, it looked nothing like that yeah it's all modified and i'm still healing even though i'm eating modified fruits that don't have seeds so you know people kind of it's funny even a raw foodist will get on the attack sometimes on my instagram channel because i say there's no such thing as organic foods and they're like yes there is i'm like no they spray our skies all the time with toxic chemicals so it goes over an organic farm now that toxic chemicals in the in the soil. So that means that there's no such thing as organic food. So but yet true. I'm still healing on a week to week basis because I go to a chiropractor and acupuncture every single week. So I get constant feedback. It's not like I'm flying by the seat of my pants. I'm doing this lifestyle. And every week, I'm evaluated by a highly trained Eastern medicine doctor.
0: Amazing, and that doctor, they've seen your transformation, haven't they?
1: Yeah, they're blown away by it. My acupuncturist is a Qigong master. He's 65 years old, he's a rooster just like me, he's 11 years older than me, and he was one of the first fellows ever in China after the Mao revolution and they finally opened up the country. He was a surgeon. And he developed a life-saving liver uh, operation, and then he'd been he learned acupuncture because his family were in Mao concentration camps, and they um, were forced. They had no medical care at all, so they really turned to Chinese tradi- traditional Chinese medicine. So they were pra- his grandma was practicing medicine acupuncture. And from the time he was 13 to 65 he's been practicing acupuncture and now he gave up being a a Western trained doctor license and now he only practices acupuncture and he said to me what you've done with your organs is nothing short of remarkable I've never seen anything like it I didn't know it was possible and I'm learning from you. And I've even started to adopt some of your diet. He goes, I don't go as much as you. He's like, but now my first couple of meals today, I'm only eating fruit to get hydrated, to get the biophotons. He's like, cause I'm seeing how you're expound, you keep getting better. He's like, and if you're getting better, then it must mean that I should be adopting some of this lifestyle as well. But he still eats a little bit of meat, but, He's also, he practices the moderate way, so he's not indulging on a steak. He's eating a little bit. He's eating a little bit of fish, a little bit of chicken. He's a very Zen master. So when he eats, he's going to eat like this much of everything. He's not going to eat till he's full. He's going to feel the first feelings of satiatedness, and then he's going to stop eating, which most of us can't do either.
0: No, myself included. (laughs) I think...
1: that has to do with overbreathing. People are in a state of overbreathing. So they feel the need to continue to eat to get stimulated because they're overstimulated by their breath. So they're constantly seeking stimulation. And that's a topic, too, that I know what I just said is probably going over everyone's heads. Not to call people ignorant, it's that they don't have that experience. And I was ignorant to that. But now that I have the experience of it, I can talk about it. But I realize that most people will be like, what do you mean by being stimulated?
0: <laughs> yeah, you touched on so much there. I just want to go right back to the start in terms of diet. I think myself included, when you first discover something, you really want like perfection, like the mono meals. You know, you, you're, myself, I was maybe a little bit dogmatic, a little bit. Like, you know, this is the only way. But then I think as you become just a bit more familiar with it, you kind of realize, yeah, food, diet, it is important. And for me, it was the catalyst into in being a bit more open-minded, but it's not everything. Like you say, it's lifestyle, it's breath. Yeah. It's something that I'm now realizing because like you say, people are always seeking stimulation and myself included. Like there's times where I'm thinking about that watermelon, I'm like, oh, like, but then I'm like, it's just because I'm bored. If I was busy, if I was working or playing, I wouldn't even be thinking about food. So, for me, you know, I've, I've I've found that realization. I've come to that realization myself. So, you, it's currently what time is it? Nearly one p.m. So, what time of day do you start off eating? Is it usually around the same time?
1: It depends on what time I've eaten at night. Uh, sometimes I don't finish work till maybe 7.30, so I have to eat a little bit later. But I'd like to be finished with food by 7, and then I won't eat again until at least noon. Or like yeah. today, I didn't, want to, I, I didn't want to eat right before our call. I figured. I actually said to myself, well, see, I have this ability now to go, well, I can go another hour and a half. So instead of trying to force feed myself before the talk, I figured, well, I'll just wait. And I'll allow my fasting window to get even greater because I always wanna make sure that I don't crave food. Because I could go five days, 10 days without food. So that means that I don't need it when I think I need it.
0: Yeah, it's so true. It's amazing how resilient the body is, how powerful it is, how, yeah, like you say, you can easily go a little bit longer. It's just that craving. So would you recommend because for me personally, just for a little bit of context, the last few days I've been eating from about 10 a.m. until maybe 3, 4 p.m. at the latest, kind of like a window, and I have noticed even more improved benefits than just through you know grazing throughout the day. So, would you recommend some sort of at least intermittent fasting, even with this lifestyle?
1: Oh yeah, I, I didn't. Yeah, that's what I meant. So if I stop at seven and I don't eat again until 12, then that's, yeah. that's a 17 hour window.
0: But you definitely recommend it on this. Have you noticed like benefits yourself?
1: Yeah, you, well, we've all eaten too much in our life. Every animal goes hungry every day. <laughs> they all go hungry every day and they have to try to catch food. So they don't walk into a supermarket when they're hungry and have food at their disposal or go into their kitchen and open up the refrigerator and be able to eat when they're hungry. They're hungry for maybe hours. And then they have to go try to catch food or they have to go forage for food. So it's not that easy for them to eat. So their body gets trained to live in a short-term fasted state, which people will call ketosis. But we don't want to live in ketosis. That's not how we're designed. We're designed, well, We're really designed to not eat, but I don't know if you want to go there.
0: (laughs) It's so funny because I was just thinking that I was thinking, I haven't talked about breatharianism. So yeah, sure.
1: We are designed to breathe. We're not designed to eat. People are like, well, then what do you have a stomach for? Well, the stomach wasn't there in the beginning. It was, it's also not considered one of the five major organs. Why wouldn't it be considered one of the five major organs in traditional Chinese medicine if it's so important? Yes, it's attached to other organs, but why is it not the main organ? If that, if food is so important, why is it not one of the five major organs? But I say that to people and they're like, well, Chinese medicine is not real. And I'm like, oh, okay. 5,000, it's been here for 5,000 years and, and they don't know what they're doing. Um, so,
0: Yeah, we always think we know better
1: yeah whatever people want to believe and i would never tell anybody that they're wrong in their beliefs but my view however we got started and there's no way for me to know did we crawl out of the ocean and develop an ability to breathe air from the atmosphere instead of getting the oxygen out of the water i don't know were we seeded by other entities I don't know, our chromosomes seem to suggest that. So does our DNA. But however we got started, we certainly didn't get started by eating. We had to be breathing first. And then we were walking around Pangaea, which is millions of years ago, and there would have been a tree that had this beautiful, vibrant fruit on it that would look nothing of any of the fruits we have in our world today. None of the fruits we have in our world today existed 2,000 years ago. They're all different because they're all genetically modified. So the hominid would have been walking around the forest, Pangea was a forest, and they would have been looking at these vibrant colors of fruits that are pleasing to the eye because colors are an emotional response to the brain. And they would have walked over and they would have grabbed it and they would have had a strong teeth and strong jaw to be able to bite through it, not peel the skin off, but eat through the skin. And they probably would have had a microbiome that could have also eaten the seeds and not felt gotten toxic from toxicity from the seeds. Whereas now people are told, well, you should be eating the watermelon seeds. Well, the watermelon seeds have lectins in them and too much lectins can build up toxicity and cause issues in your body. So if you want to eat a couple of seeds, that's fine, but you shouldn't be eating all of them because your body's not tolerant to those molecules like, or those, uh, lectins. So fruit is the reproductive sex organ of the plant. It's designed by God to be eaten. It falls to the fruit, uh, to the ground, ripe, and you pick it up and you eat it and you eat your water. You eat your sugar. What feeds the brain? Sugar. People are like, well, you need protein. You need a certain amount of protein every day. And I'm like, go on PubMed, type in constituents of mother's milk, and you will find that in the first one to three days of your birthing, your mother produced colostrum from her nipple. And that's what gave you your HGH, human growth hormone, and your protein. And then after that, it stopped and it turned into uh, breast milk. So it goes from colostrum to breast milk. And the constituents of breast milk are 2.5% protein, very, very little, because we're not supposed to be big humans. Everybody wants to be big, but they don't realize that that's toxifying their body. So they want to ingest more, which is not good for you because you're not designed to eat a lot. <laughs> number two, 4% fat and number three, 9% carbohydrates. So when you're breastfeeding, your mother is rearing you on sugar water. And what does the sugar feed The brain? So for the nine months or a year, or if you're lucky to be in breastfed a lot longer than that, you're being reared on carbohydrates. Not on fat, not on protein. So where does this information come from? I'm like, it's common sense. But you know, I spent 42 years of my life being a strict carnivore and wanting to be as big as I could be. And now I'm trying to suppress testosterone. I don't want all this free testosterone because I believe from the research that I've read, particularly in Return to the Brain of Eden, which I think you know that book, right? Yeah. Which is mind-blowing. I'm trying to actually suppress my free testosterone so I can grow my brain bigger. And in the last 10,000 years, science unequivocally tells us that the brain has shrunk. So everybody who wants to talk about the brain, the meat that grows the brain, I'm like, you're wrong. It's the opposite. Because the brain has gotten smaller so you show me science that says the brain's gotten bigger from meat, you can't
0: yes it's so true that book and also man's higher consciousness that kind of that opened my eyes to at least the possibility that maybe at one point we ate very little if anything but it's, it's just hard for me at the minute because i really like to look for role models and it's hard to know who's genuine in the breatharian world But yeah, I think time will tell on that. There was, there was-
1: Well, there's a great YouTube channel called Breatharian World. Yeah. And there are people all over the world waking up. I'm not one of them. I still feel the need to eat. Like, I kind of want to eat my watermelon when we're done. I want to eat it before my next client. I'm feeling a little bit of hunger right now. It's been 17 hours. But that hunger is not really because I need to eat, because I ate yesterday, I ate the day before. It's actually the the addiction to the act of eating. And it's like I'm vitally, my nervous system is vitally adjusted to digest food. So I'm actually seeking my drug, which is food. And I know this intellectually, but I haven't gotten to the point where I can give it up. And I've done a lot of fasting and I've done fasting and felt great without feeling the need to eat, but I always go back to it. So I'm not at that level where I'm able to give it up, but I have read and heard about many people in India and China who have never eaten or drank in their life. You tell people that and they're like, you're crazy, but they don't have open minds. They're not critical thinkers and it's not their fault. That's how they've been taught. It's the programs that they believed in, right? In fact, I believe in God, right? But just a short little segue, if you grew up and no one ever taught you about God, would you even have the thought that there was something higher? It probably wouldn't. So everything is a learned behavior, which means we can unlearn it and learn something better or newer or whatever.
0: Yeah so true. I was speaking to Orville Douglas last week and he said something great about uh, we were talking about breatharianism and he said something great like I'm not experiencing what they're experiencing so I can't comment on it. I'm having my own experience. So I think yeah keeping an open mind I definitely think is a possibility. There's definitely some of these yogis and monks and people like that who have achieved or performed like so-called supernatural feats. So I think keeping an open mind is definitely good in any area of life. But right. for us who are currently eating, I've got a few quick questions and then yeah. we'll let you eat your delicious watermelon. Yeah. But, <laughs> so in terms of water, do you drink any water? And if you do, which water is your preference?
1: Um, so it's, you know, it's November um, 10th here in New York City, and we're actually getting good watermelons. They're coming from Mexico. They're not Uh. organic. I'm still eating them, but they're delicious. So as long as I'm eating watermelon, I try not to eat or drink before my first meal. So I'm almost like dry fasting. Although I do cheat with tea sometimes like herbal teas, rooibos, chamomile, uh, lemongrass teas. So sometimes if I want to drink, I drink for the taste, not because I need to put that liquid in my body, But for the most, for the most part, I try to be basically dry fasted until I eat my melons. And then when at night, if I have a a more of a starchy fruit, like bananas or avocados, then I'll drink water 15 minutes after that, or even 15 minutes before it, and 15 minutes after it, because anything that doesn't have a high water concentration means that you're going to steal water from your tissues in order to digest the food. So that's the difference between, fruits are soluble fiber, soluble meaning they give you water and they make you feel fuller faster and satiated longer. Insoluble fiber means that it steals water from your body. It makes you want to eat more because it stimulates your nervous system due to the spike in insulin which is adrenalizing you. And then you feel like you have to keep eating and you're like, oh my God, I'm so hungry. I need to keep eating. But people don't understand that that's actually the addiction part of it. And I realized that uh, I have that addiction to food still.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I've noticed that as well with like bananas or avocados. They definitely make me feel thirsty because like you say, the water content is lower. It's maybe 70 something percent and maybe our body, I can't remember what Lauren Lockman says, but I think it's around 80%, give or take a few digits. But yeah, Yeah. it it makes sense. It makes sense. So just a final question before we go end with the uh, rapid fire questions. I was just going to ask you in terms of living in New York, it's obviously cold in the winter and where I live back home in the UK, it gets cold and very gray in the winter. Have you got any like quick tips for staying raw and yeah, just coping in the winter with it, especially with a lack of vitamin D.
1: Mm. Well, I, uh, I will get out and I will sun gaze when I can. So I will go outside even in the winter and I'll take my shoes off and put them on the cold ground and I'll by my house. I live right by the statue of Liberty. So it, there's no buildings by the statue. So when the sun goes down, it's, it's almost sunsetting in your face. So I will sun gaze with my feet on the ground and I'll practice a lot of humming. Um, I'll do a very specific breathing exercise, which is resonant frequency of breathing in for four and out for six as I'm staring at the sun. So I'm bringing those biophotons through my retina into my spine, giving me that pranic energy, the biophotons, And then I'm humming to on the exhale to produce more nasal nitric oxide to bring more oxygen into my body. And um, I I cold train with a shower, but I don't overdo it. I give myself just enough signal. And then when I go outside, uh, I don't really use jackets. I could wear a sweatshirt only. And I get tolerant to the cold because I can breathe through my nose. when you can breathe through your nose well, then your body will immediately regulate its temperature. I was in Utah last year, and um, my first week in Utah was 75 degrees and gorgeous. And we were in the mountains, and all of a sudden, in one day, it dropped all the way down to 32, which would be zero in Celsius. Yeah. So it went from like 24 all the way to zero in one day, wow. and it snowed four inches. And I was staying in a house that was surrounded by trees and there were deer all over the place. And I noticed that the deer were still they were covered in snow, they were walking in snow, and they weren't shivering. And I'm like, "Oh shit, that's interesting." I realized in the moment that the reason they're not even cold isn't necessarily cuz of their hide because why weren't they hot? <laughs> they're breathing the way they're designed to breathe. So as soon as the temperature dropped, they're able to regulate their body temperature by breathing through their nose and producing the gas, nitric oxide, which can regulate their pH. And as their pH becomes regulated, they're able to adjust their body temperature to the outside environment. And I feel like that's what I do in New York City. So when I go outside, I don't wear coats, I'm very well adjusted to the temperature drop because I take cold showers in the morning too. That helps a lot.
0: Yeah, me too. And
1: uh, and I do breathing exercises every single day to balance my pH, which means I can regulate my body temperature.
0: Yeah, amazing. I'll I'll bear that in mind because I'm going back to the UK very soon. I'm currently in Mexico with your watermelons. But yeah, I think also for me, I found just getting moving, exercising, and yeah, just focusing on the breath, great tips. And just very, very quickly on the food, how do you find eating like raw uh, in the winter? Is that an issue at all?
1: No, I don't I don't have any issues with it. Now, if you were an Inuit up in Alaska, people would say, well, their genetics are that they have to eat this fish and stuff. Well, yeah, if you're living in that kind of climate, then you will, morphically change your resonance to deal with the environment. But if you take those people and you put them into Mexico, well, they will transition back to being able to be a raw foodist. It's just an adaptation to the environment. So living in New York city, again, I'm able to get fruit. So I stay raw all the time, you know, and if I'm bored, I eat salads, but um, once in a while, I do have to have cooked food. Not that I have to, but my wife isn't even vegan. She doesn't practice yeah. veganism at all, let alone fruitarianism. So if I go out to a restaurant, which I don't really normally do, I pretty much, you know, I'm, I, I've got to this point in life where I don't need to do things. I'm breathing at a very high level, I'm not ingesting foods that are toxic. And I'm very calm, so I don't feel the need to desire to be around people, not that I don't like people, but I don't need to be in social settings because I'd actually much rather take care of myself the way I want. So once in a while I'll eat cooked food, but I never really feel good afterwards. And if they don't have salads on the menu, then I have to eat a cooked vegetable, but it's also not going to hurt me now because my organs are in such great shape. But Dylan, most, 95% of the time, I'm still raw.
0: Oh, that's still amazing. And like you said, I think people are so dogmatic in terms of like 100%, 100%. But like, your body's so clean. My, I dare say my body's fairly clean. Like, it can, it can deal with like a bit of cooked food every once in a while. And it's of just course. important not to beat yourself up.
1: If you could smoke for 80 years yeah. and die when you're 80, you've just been smoking since you're 13, obviously you can adapt to it. Doesn't mean it's good for you, but you can adapt to it. Like people know, I went to Sicily on vacation in in August and I went on Instagram and I told everything I did. I'm not one of those guys that lie. You know, people, oh, you're on steroids. I'm like, (laughs) like I tell the truth about everything. So I went to Sicily and every, all my stories, I said what I was eating because in Sicily, they don't eat good at all. I mean, they are a blue zone, but they're overeating. I didn't see any healthy people, even though they live in a blue zone, they're all overeating. Mm. So I was forced, there were no vegetables on the menu, none. Everything was, was in food. So I had to eat at night, I had to eat pastas and I had even some cheese, but at least the cheese I was eating was coming from the cow that was on the farm that I was staying at. So at least I was getting farm to table food, but I went off my vegan diet when I was in Sicily and I went on Instagram and I told the truth because I believe in being honest about what you do in life. And then as soon as I came back, I went raw and I went on a 16 day Concord grape cleanse. And, uh, and then I won't, you know, I say normally once a year, I cheat because I love pizza (laughs) and I don't want to never eat it again in my life. Again, that's that addiction to food, right? So I have this thing in my head that every August I'm going to do a little cheating and I've been able to maintain that. Over these five years, I've only done it once a year in August. And like, people are like, how do you do that? I'm like, well, I just have this desire and discipline to be able to wait the next year to do it.
0: Yeah. I think people really appreciate, appreciate that honesty, that rawness and that authenticity because there's a lot of fakeness online and yeah we're only human like we all have flaws and i think when we're open about it it makes us a better individual as well so i appreciate <laughs> we we're on this fruitarian lifestyle we uh, do need to urinate quite frequently and you've got watermelon waiting for you so we'll just end with the real real quick rapid fire questions yes. so number one what's your favorite fruit watermelon nice uh describe yourself in one word
1: Motivated.
0: Nice. What's one thing that everyone needs to buy? Big or small
1: needs to buy. Yeah. I don't let's, we need anything. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Clothes. Well, yeah. What did you say? Clothes?
1: Clothes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Especially in winter. What's one book that everyone needs to read?
1: Man's Higher Consciousness by Hilton Otima,
0: Great book. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever received?
1: Learn to breathe through your nose on a daily basis.
0: Mm. What are three things that you can't live without?
1: Air. Fruit. And love.
0: Yeah, great three. What's your greatest strength and your biggest weakness?
1: My greatest strength is my discipline. My greatest weakness would be, uh, you know, I've I've really worked hard on my self-limiting beliefs. I'm a psyche advanced facilitator, and I've taken my self-limiting beliefs and I've rebalanced them in my brain. So at this moment, I guess my greatest weakness would be uh accepting technology in my life
0: me too me too is that just very very quickly is that dr bruce lipton's thing it's psyche.
1: dr bruce lipton's business partner rob williams originated psyche 30 years ago and i've taken all the classes amazing. so i help people re- reprogram their subconscious as well
0: amazing what would you tell your 20 year old self
1: stop eating meat
0: yeah, that would save a lot of people. <laughs> Do you believe in having a purpose? If so, what's your purpose in life?
1: I, I believe we all have a purpose. Our soul's contract came, or maybe not a contract, but every one of us has a soul's purpose. And I believe my purpose is just to ele- elevate the consciousness of humanity. Right now, it happens to be breathing. 30 years before that, it was personal training. It may be in five years from now, I won't even be a breathing instructor. Maybe I'll be a motivational speaker, but it'll always be about trying to provide information that lifts up the collective consciousness of humanity.
0: Mm, maybe a breath air motivational speaker. <laughs> Who knows? And finally, what are you grateful for today?
1: I'm grateful for being here healthy and being able to talk with you because that's it, it's in the moment. So I'm grateful for this moment right now, sitting here with you and having this platform to speak about beautiful things.
0: Likewise, yeah, the present moment's all we have. And just finally, I've talked your ears off. <laughs> and yeah, just share what you've got going on for the people, just plug yourself. Ooh. Yeah.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, no. Well, over the last few years, I've developed quite a number of breathing routines and programs. And now what I've been able to do is consolidate them into a monthly platform subscription. So some of my plat- some of my programs were six month programs and you had to pay for them all at once. And they were not really expensive for what they were, but at a one lump sum payment it is. So now I've created a new platform that's subscription based. And now people can learn everything that I have had to offer uh at a much more affordable rate. And you could follow me on breath underscore verse, like universe. You can click on my link tree to sign up, or you could go to quantumfitness.org and also find it in my services tab. Or just freely message me the word breathverse and I'll uh send people through DMs more information about it and um that's pretty much it
0: amazing i'm glad to hear that you've made it even more accessible because it's so important so i'll definitely check
1: it out and yeah awesome. lovely. peace and awesome. love everyone thank you